good evening everybody uh, happy to see you all uh, today we are very fortunate to have our this morning is Bhante Gunaratnanayaka Mahathir so most of people addressing Bhante Ji that's the American way to make it short <laughs> so uh, this is your first time actually uh, two and a half years ago we invited him for our uh, opening ceremony of the Blue Lotus Temple but he couldn't make it uh, so he got uh, severely sick and now he's recovering and he's healthier than I ever seen. Um, now he's 85 years young and <laughs> so anyway um, I invited him again he accepted my invitation very lovingly and kindly he wanted to uh, see our beautiful face and last night he came to the Blue Lotus Temple. Now he's spending time with us and uh, uh, we have a lot of humor and a lot of laugh and smile together and he loved to uh, walk and he almost walked uh, three miles today and so it's wonderful and already you know him and uh, reading his books uh, mindful in, mindfulness in plain English is very popular and also we use it as Blue Lotus Manual so now here he is and so now respectfully I would like to invite Vante Gunaratnanayaka to deliver his discussion and down talk. Good, Venerable Shadyaka and other mums and nuns and dear friends. It's a great pleasure to be here with you this evening and we spend some time talking and discussing Dhamma. I have heard quite a bit about this place just recently and I myself wanted to come and see you all, see these activities in this place. So I uh, am very happy that uh, I have been able to come and uh, meet you all. <coughs> Tonight there is no any particular topic for me to speak on, but I have to I simply ramble. Uh, we are meditators, you all are meditators, I assume. Meditation has become a very popular commodity these days uh, all over the world uh, for very good reason. We are experimenting all kinds of things in our life, seeking happiness. And we do many things to make us happy. Nobody does anything to make us unhappy. From the time we are able to do our things by ourselves, 
uh, even as infants we were seeking happiness uh, and we possibly do something to make us happy. After doing so many things, if you stop one day and ask yourself, am I happy? Then the answer will come, not yet. I do something else. So you do something else and after sometimes you ask the same question and the answer will be the same. Now, some people come to meditate. <coughs> I remember somebody coming to meditate and trying to meditate for a while and found it very difficult. It's not very easy to meditate. So he concluded, this is not for me. I will kill myself rather than meditate. It is so difficult. <coughs> so meditation is not that easy. Why is it not easy? Because uh, our uh, conditioning in all our life is to do something very easy, looking for easy solutions. Especially these days, so many things are made easy. You, I don't have to give a list of things that has been done to make life easy. So people have become so conditioned and they are spoiled. So now even meditation they want to find uh, something very quick. Uh, unfortunately in meditation there is no quick fix. This is something we have to do very, very hard. We have to recondition ourselves in a different way. And that is why it is difficult because we have so many other things stuck our mind with and we have to undo all this uh, to Unfortunately, we cannot, we cannot remove all of the stuff that we have in our mind. So we uh, recommend people to start the practice with all the garbage in the mind. As we do practice, slowly and gradually, the practice becomes easy and the things that we have uh, being so conditioned would be slowly fading away and practice will become easy and achievement will become very satisfactory. So what should we do when we come to meditation? Different teachers give different type of instructions and different methods, different ways of uh, practicing. All of them have some 
value in them. But somebody cannot practice all of them. One has to decide what to practice, how to practice and what they can practice easy, comfortably for their own personal life. So we call our practice uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness practice. As you know, there are two systems of meditation. One is called tranquility meditation, other is called mindfulness meditation. What is tranquility meditation and what is mindfulness meditation? How can you practice tranquility meditation? And how can you practice mindfulness meditation? What should, what should one do to practice tranquility meditation? And what one should do to practice mindfulness meditation? For concentration meditation, there are some selected subjects. We use them and focus our mind on that particular subject. For instance, uh, even practicing what we call loving-friendliness meditation, which has uh, been translated into English as uh, loving-kindness meditation, I personally don't agree with the English translation like, like kindness, loving-kindness meditation for good reason. <coughs> I will explain it later if you want, if you ask me the question, why I don't like the word loving-kindness. Anyway, there is one meditation which eventually leads to concentration. How? When we practice loving-friendliness uh, meditation, one of the most nagging hindrances would be subsided. Two nagging hindrances would be subsided. They can be hindrances, they can be even fetters. Now, I don't want to be too technical. There's a difference. We use these terms in meditation. We use term for fetters and hindrances. What is the difference between fetters and hindrances? In order to gain concentration, we have to overcome hindrances. <coughs> and overcoming hindrances is not something permanent. Of course, nothing is permanent. But in the practice of meditation, we have to overcome hindrances in order to gain concentration. But hindrances, no matter how many times you overcome them, they arise again. Why is that? Because the root of hindrances are still there. What are the roots of hindrances? Roots of hindrances are fetters. 
They are very much like a network of roots underground. So long as the network of roots underground remains strong, heavy, and well-nourished, the hindrances or the shoots, the sprouts, would arise. So, until we completely destroy, totally eradicate, got rid of the network of roots, hindrances arise. Now, when <coughs> we practice metta meditation or living cleanliness meditation, we learn to overcome two of these hindrances. And eventually, when we practice mindfulness meditation, we will be able to completely destroy these two hindrances, in which case these two hindrances are called fetters. Fetters are things that bind us. Hindrances are temporary hinders, obstruct. They are temporary, temporary roadblocks. We temporarily remove them and move on. Now, what are these two hindrances? Anger and attachment, greed. When you practice metta or learning friendliness meditation, both of them will be subsided temporarily and open the heart to practice living friendliness. And then gain concentration. This is one subject. Another subject that we can use to gain concentration is our own breathing. Focus the mind on the breath and we gain concentration. <coughs> Once we gain concentration, what should do? What should we do with the concentration? <laughs> we all, many people have problem in gaining concentration. They, they even complain uh, for not being able to gain concentration. So they. That is why some people, when they come to meditation, they say it's very difficult, they cannot gain concentration. Okay, so they give up the practice. Now, the good news is the practice of mindfulness. For mindfulness practice, there is no one particular object. Even bad concentration is, is can be used as a mindfulness object. That is why the Buddha said, when you practice mindfulness meditation, be mindful of not concentrating as not concentrating. When you gain concentration, be mindful of the fact that you gain concentration. So either way, you can use it as an object of your mindfulness practice. Another very beautiful thing in mindfulness practice is that 
full concentration, you have to find a suitable place, suitable time, suitable cushion, and suitable mood, and good weather, and you know, so many conditions are there. Only when you fulfill all these conditions, you can gain concentration. But for meditating mindfulness, no condition. Under any condition, under any situation, with any mood, you can practice mindfulness. All you have to do, I, I have mentioned in my uh, mindfulness in plain English, mindfulness practice is called uh, participatory observation. You participate in what you experience and you observe it at the same time. Always there are two things going on in our mind. What are the two things? One thing is becoming aware of something else is happening, as it is happening. This is in Pali called Vipassana meditation. For Vipassana there has to be Anupassana. So in Pali words, in Pali we say, Kaya Anupasana, Vedana Anupasana, Chitta Anupasana, Dharma Anupasana. Anupasana for Vipassana. I'm not playing on words. I'm just trying to explain what it really means. If, if you know this a very tiny little tiny word, you can get a whole lot of meaning and deeper understanding of the practice. That is, as you practice, <coughs> you become aware of what is happening at that very moment, as it is happening, not before, not after. In Pali we call when somebody is walking and if another person walks along with him, I don't want to use too many Pali words, but it is almost irresistible for me not to not to abstain from using Pali. And using Pali is irresistible. Because the meaning is very clear in Pali language. Gachanto anugachati. When somebody goes, Somebody else goes along with him. Tithanto anutithati. When somebody is sitting, he sits along with that person. So, when something is happening, simultaneously something else is happening. In Vipassana meditation, uh, in concentration meditation, you just focus attention on what is happening. But in Vipassana meditation, you actually participate in what is happening. Exactly as it is happening. You cannot observe anything. This is why this cannot be tested in laboratory. Although these people, these days people are trying to do various scientific techniques, scientific methods to uh, explain 
Vipassana meditation, mindfulness meditation, whole scientific community in the world, these days, especially uh, psychologists, psychoanalysis, uh, psychophysicists, uh, want to do psychiatrists, want to use some scientific methodology to understand Vipassana meditation. It doesn't work. Because this is not something you can get in a science laboratory. Because it is completely external observation. In science we observe something external. It is physical. This is, we observe internally as things are happening in our life, in our mind and body. And as they are happening, we pay undivided attention. <coughs> For instance, uh, when you experience certain feelings, as you are experiencing the feeling, you pay attention to it. When that feeling is no longer there, there's no hope, nothing for you to pay attention to. Why, why we pay attention to something as it is happening? Because we want to deepen our understanding, our insight of what insight of understanding of impermanence. You know, impermanence <coughs> anybody can understand impermanence. Look at around now this outside. No change trees have changed their color. And a couple of these already dropped. And their trees will remain like dead trees. Come spring, they spring up. Sun rises, sun sets. Sometimes cold, sometimes cold, sometimes baby, sometimes no baby. So, so many things are happening every day in our life. So everybody can understand what impermanence is. Look at ourselves. <laughs> but we have gone so many years, 50, 60, 30, 40, 100, maybe years, then we know that we have uh, changed. But we never experience change, impermanence in our life because we have not paid attention to that. In Vipassana meditation, what we do, we learn, we train our mind to experience impermanence. In ordinary life, we things are permanent. We things, we think things are permanent. And they are not permanent. Things are, in, the things are permanently impermanent. So what Vipassana 
meditation meditators do is that this they become aware of this permanently impermanent experience. It doesn't matter what. Everything is always changing. Why? Why do we want to pay attention to something impermanent, to understand impermanent? Why? Because everything impermanent is unsatisfactory. Anything impermanent will not give us permanent satisfaction. That is pretty sure. That is why I say, we do so many things in our life to expect to gain happiness, but we are not happy. Why? Everything that we did was impermanent, is impermanent, will be impermanent. And so we are trying to gain permanent happiness from impermanent experience. It's not going to work. So we we, we gain uh, unsatisfactoriness from impermanence, not because things are impermanent. Even if one attains full enlightenment, that person does not make impermanent permanent. <laughs> Even the Buddha who attained full enlightenment, did not make impermanent permanent, he only himself was impermanent. When he was going to pass away, all, most of the monks surrounded him, were with him, one was missing. That was Ananda, who was following Buddha like his own shadow. So Buddha asked, where is Ananda? They said he is in his kuti crying, crying over the, the fact that you are going to pass away. Then Buddha said, Sabbath coming. When he came back, Buddha said, Ananda, I heard you were crying. Why do you cry? I have to have time over the fact that I was going to pass away. Don't you remember, Ananda? All these years I thought that everything is impermanent. Then how it is possible for me not to be impermanent? This, this body is impermanent. Why impossible? But remember, Ananda. You have taken care of me with loving, friendly thought, with loving, friendly words, and with loving, friendly actions. You have little more to do for you to liberate yourself from this sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Because you Think, things are permanent. Any impermanent thing would give rise to 
pain, sorrow, lamentation, grief and distress. Why is that? Why permanent things makes us unhappy? Why? Not because they are impermanent, but because of our attachment to impermanent things. When we attain enlightenment, what we do, we remove the attachment to impermanent things. Impermanent things continue to be impermanent forever. <laughs> whether the Buddha said whether the Buddha is coming to existence or not, impermanence is an established dharma, established truth. You think of anything in the universe, anything, literally anything you think in the universe, can you find something permanent in it? Planet, stars, moon, suns, people, air, everything is changing in So what we do in Vipassana meditation, as I said, there is no one particular object, whatever object we use is impermanent. <laughs> it doesn't matter therefore what object we use. It can be something physical, something mental, maybe perception, maybe thoughts, maybe feelings, memories, ideas, external object, internal whatever. Everything is impermanent. So we train the mind to see this truth. When we see the truth, you know, to see the truth. It's a very great pleasure. Truth, Buddha said, truth. One day uh, a demon or an worker, demon, asked the Buddha, what is the sweetest of all the sweets in the world? Buddha said, Satchang Hamesarutarangasara. The tastiest of all the taste is the truth. Taste of truth is the sweetest, tastiest. Is that what you have heard? You heard truth is bitter, bitter truth. Bitter truth is bitter so long as we have no garbage in our mind. When the mind is clear and pure, and train the mind, train it to develop insight, as insight grows, improves, mind becomes clearer and clearer and clearer, then the truth becomes sweeter and sweeter. Because you cannot fight, quarrel, dispute the truth. So in Vipassana meditation, we spend every fraction of a second, if possible, every waking moment to pay attention to whatever we experience. Of course, we cannot do that all the time because we are so much engaged in various other activities. But while engaged, while being engaged in activities, we still can become aware of changes 
impermanent. So Buddha said, be mindful of rising phenomena, be mindful of falling phenomena, and be mindful of rising and falling phenomena. So, somebody may, may pay attention to it and may ask, what is the difference between paying attention to rising phenomena, paying attention to falling phenomena, and paying attention to rising and falling phenomena? Rising phenomena, falling phenomena, and rising and falling phenomena. How can these three be three different phenomena? But the truth is that the, the way we must understand is that everything comes into existence and feeds their feet and pass away. These are called three existing moments. Rising moment, peak moment, and passing moment. So, when we pay attention to something, say, for instance, our breath, breath has a beginning, it has a, it goes to the peak, and it passes away. When we, when the mind becomes clearer and sharper, these three, these three moments of existence become clear in our mind. Now, when we, do, when we gain concentration, as I said, uh, using any subject we gain concentration, then we use this concentration and combine it with mindfulness to see this reality very clearly. That means, it is just like uh, using a uh, laser beam to focus on uh, something very tiny little, maybe uh, you want to burn cracker. And you want to use laser beam. And uh, you have to have a very clear eyesight, a steady hand, and focus the laser beam on the camera, on the spot. The concentration is like laser beam. Mindfulness is very clear eyesight. The mindfulness is called Vipassana in Pali. Vipassana, uh, I use the simile of uh, eyesight, because of the Pali word, the meaning of Pali word, Pali word vipassana. Vi means very special way. Pasana means seeing. Seeing in a very special way. We is called vipassana. What is the special way? Is there a special way to see something? When we open our eyes, is there a very special way to see? 
Yes, that's a very special way. A way that we don't use our eyes ordinarily to see things. Ordinarily, as I mentioned earlier, we have a distorted perception. What is the distorted perception? We inwardly, there's a, a sort of a wishful thinking, so to say, inwardly we think it must be permanent, perpetual. This pleasure, this happiness, this relationship, this situation, this job, this person, this experience may be somehow permanent. That one was not. That experience, that person, that situation, that so forth, that so not permanent. But now this relationship, this, this, this is permanent. That's a grief inwardly beating. That is called distorted perception. Now, when we develop mindfulness and develop a vipassana, vipassana meditation shows that what we thought to be permanent is not permanent. That is called vipassana, seen in a very special way through the development of our mind. Mind, we make the mind very sharper and clearer to see this reality through concentration and insight. Concentration meditation is like, uh, like laser beam. Mindfulness is a very, like a very clear eyesight. When these two combine together, we see rising moment, peak moment, and passing away moment of everything in our life. Everything that we are feeling. And that is why in true vipassana meditation we don't use words, concepts, ideas, notions. No concept, no ideas, no words. But Train the mind to pay attention to what is going on, what is happening. What is happening? We have to say happening because things are not static. Things are always in motion. For instance, our body, our body and mind are always in motion. We say, I take uh, two-day vacation, one-week vacation, and so forth. We say, but our body doesn't go on vacation. Mind doesn't go on vacation. Every tiny little part of our body, every cell in our body must keep working always. Always working. You can never find any part in the body taking vacation, heart, liver, lungs, Healing, all cells, brain cells, nerves, everything, blood circulation, 
always when they are away for sleep, they have to keep working, working, working all the time. So for a person of meditation, you don't need any particular time to meditate. A place, wherever you are, there you are. All everything you want to practice with personal meditation is with you. You carry them with you wherever you go. So what we have to do in the personal meditation, we restrain ourselves. Restraining means uh, just not we we, we plug our ears and plug our nose and close our eyes and so forth. But we and don't let the mind dissuade to various objects, to go to various objects. We try to get inside, inside, inside friends. This is not just a metaphorical, this is a different. Literally, the whole universe is in our mind. You close your eyes now. You can see England, have you, if you have been to England, London. As soon as you close your eyes, you can see entire London. You don't go there. Your mind doesn't go there. But everything is stored, put in a permanent file. You just open the file inside. Everything is there. So, focus the mind inside. See what is going on, what you are experiencing. And see how quickly they change. And we learn, when you open eyes, they all appear to be very solid, permanent, steady. But our experience of Anything is impermanent, change. And therefore, when we experience this impermanence, some are very beautiful, some are very pleasant, some are not so good, not so pleasant. It doesn't matter whether they are pleasant or unpleasant. Impermanence is the same. So, we train the mind to see the truth impartially. <coughs> impartially. Without using words, concepts, ideas, and interpretations. To see it exactly like a scientist in a way. Sometimes we have used some, some examples of, of a scientist. When a scientist wants to see an object, under powerful microscope, he put the object under powerful microscope and focuses his mind or eyes on it, and he sees the behavior of that object and, uh, and uh, uh, components of the object to see how the components behave under the microscope. He doesn't say this is beautiful, this is ugly. This is I, this I like, this I don't like. Anything like this is not added. That person wants to see it exactly as it is. 
seeing things in this way is called vipassana meditation. Why do we want to see that that way? Because we don't want to have our emotional biases and attachment to it. When we don't have emotional attachment, biases, it will be very easy for us to accept the reality of impermanence. What arises, passes away. Once it is passed away, let it pass away. What arises is naturally going to pass away. When it passed away, when it happened, and keep the mind safe. That is the way we train to make ourselves happy seeing the truth, seeing the reality. Friends, I just wanted to open this evening discussion. He said uh, uh, it was going to be a discussion. And now he asked me to give a talk. So I opened the discussion with this remark on concentration and mindfulness. And since you all are meditating, perhaps practicing both, uh, probably you may have some question to have a live discussion. So I will stop here and then open the floor for all of you to ask questions. What role, oh, sorry. Uh, what role does faith play in your practice? What role? Yeah, what role does faith play in your practice? How, how do you see the term faith? Faith. 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 Progress. How you measure the progress? 
previously you you are relatively confused but now as you practice you become your mind becomes uh, relatively clear as previously you have heard things are not permanent but when you practice meditation you experience it permanently from that you build up confidence trust yes that is true i experience it and nobody can deny it because i have it so then you build up build up your faith in the practice you build up faith in the one who introduced the practice the one like the buddha who had Buddha was the one actually who introduced vipassana meditation. Prior to Buddha, there were meditation systems, land meditation systems. Most of them are focused on concentration meditation. Even his teachers, Aravakarana, Uddhagarana, Buddha, they all practice concentration meditation, and they go stuck in their practice. And Buddha was the only one who. You know, I said I mentioned impermanence. Even before the Buddha, people, there were people, philosophers like Nirvanakaras and so forth. They knew impermanence, but what they have they done with impermanence? They their knowledge of impermanence was limited only to knowledge. They didn't do very much anything about it. Buddha was the only one who used impermanence to build up. Or to explain, to see the entire truth of his teaching. Is it because of impermanence, unsatisfactory suffering exists? Why? Because we people or all living beings are attached to impermanent things. So long as they are attached to impermanent things, they suffer. So when we see it in our own experience, we trust. We have. Tremendous trust and confidence in the Buddha, who revealed this truth. So the faith is very important, but it has to be substantiated with facts and personal experience. Okay. Um. When meditating, um, and you come across a thought of a person that you may be angry with, um, is the best way to deal with that to ignore it and let it arise and just pass away, or focus on why am I angry at this person? Um, And trying to get to the root of why I'm mad at this person, and um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. You talk about anger, and I think you can meditate. Yeah, like when I come across when I'm meditating and the thought about a person that I'm angry at mm-hmm. comes up, arises. Do I just try and ignore it and let it go away, or do I focus on it and find? The root and 
why I'm angry at that person and try and deal with that? Or do I just ignore it and let it arise and pass away? Uh, actually, you can use anger as an object of meditation at that time. When anger arises, it is not advisable, not wise for us to think about the person, the situation, uh, and uh, uh, try to justify anger and thinking that I have the right to get angry because of such and such a situation. So don't recognize it and don't completely ignore it, but use anger as an object of your meditation. How can we do that? Anger arises, isolate anger and see how you feel when anger arises. How you feel? You feel not comfortable. No, you feel very restless. Uh, you feel unhappy. Uh, you feel uh, uh, it hurts you. You know that. So, and see, suppose you feel it anger hurts you. And pay attention to it. Does that hurt is perpetual? Does it is that anger perpetual? Does that feeling perpetual? Or is it permanent? You can see it slowly fades away. You see? The hurt slowly fades away. Your restlessness slowly fades away because you don't you, you don't uh, nourish the root of anger by adding more words, more thoughts, uh, memories, justifying, and all these things. Do, don't do, you don't try to manipulate anger, don't try to do anything with it, but just be attend, pay attention to it and see how you feel it, and see how the feeling slowly fades away. Very soon anger will disappear from you, because you don't add anything, you don't nourish it, support it, and isolate it, and you focus on it. Then you see slowly creation. That's how we have used. I use anger as an object of meditation. I intellectually understand yeah, that all my sufferings are with attachments and clinging on. So I am I'm working on myself and I really have moments where I feel free inside. I feel like a sweet spirit. But contrary to that, there are moments when I'm clinging like crazy to friends, to people, and I get surprised with myself. I'm so free at times. And then I'm so clinging on at times. So I need some steps how to get back to my free self, if you can help me. Thank you. You are, you are trying to deal with the attachment to people, yeah, people situations, yeah. experiences. Yeah, I want to come to my own centering more times. Yes. Actually, this is what I have been trying to address this uh, in my talk. When attachment arises, it is of course 
difficult to get it of any attachment very quickly, I admit that. But <coughs> we uh, we must be very realistic because of very attachment that we suffer. We have suffered in the past because of our attachment. We suffer now because of our attachment. So, when you see impermanence of your experience, so when you say you are attached to something, is that object you are attached to permanent? Situation you are attached to permanent? No. People. People you are attached to permanent? No. They have changed. There are many reasons uh, for them to be the way they are. They are all kind of, they have been conditioned in many, many ways, and therefore they are like this. And their conditions also change, they change, and uh, therefore there is no reason for us to become attached to them. Because it is, it is changed, it has changed, it is changing now, it will change. We always have to see impermanence to free ourselves from attachment. Try to see impermanence. So then we are impermanent. We are impermanent. Now your mind is impermanent. The mind that is trying to attach to something also is impermanent. Why trying to attach it? Attach it, mind changes. So there is no escape from impermanence. <laughs> so it should be easy. Should be easy if you know how. How? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> if you know how, how? Don't add too many things to your attachment. Okay. Let things change. Uh-huh. Let things change. There is no way to stop changing. <laughs> so, if we accept this reality, it will be very easy for us to let go. <laughs> but the catch is theoretically, rationally, intellectually, we know this. But when it comes to practice, it is difficult. So people say, easier said than done. But I say unto them, easier done than said, if you do it. <laughs> so it's practice, more and more practice. More and more practice, that is actually the key. Loving friendliness, friendly, yes. as opposed to loving kindness, mm-hmm. and I just wanted an explanation of that. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <coughs> I always, I always uh, rely on party words because. The, the learning kind 
Guru Metta. Metta. The root word of Metta is Mitra. Mitra means friend in Pali. Mitra is friend in Sanskrit. Whether you call you call it Maitri in Pali or Mitra or Metta in Maitri in Sanskrit, Metta in Pali, you mean the same thing. Now Mitra's nature is called Metta. Mitra is actually Mitra's nature is called Maitri. So there is another word called Karuna. Karuna means compassion or kindness, both in Sanskrit and Pali. Now, when you call Mitra loving kindness, what are you going to call Karuna? You have to call it compassion or kindness again. So you are using kindness, kindness for both. Metta and Karma. So I prefer using uh, to be very, uh, very close to the Pali word, great uh, Pali uh, translation of Pali word is Metta means friendliness, Karuna is compassion, Mudita is appreciative joy, Upeka is equanimity. If we say Metta loving kindness and Karuna kindness, there's no difference between these two. Of course, these, these two are here, but the words are words have a specific meaning. So, in order to bring up the specific meaning of each word, I use the word loving kindness, loving friendliness for metta, and uh, compassion or kindness for karma, and appreciate the eventual. You also mentioned removing the hindrances of anger and attachment in the concentration meditation. I wasn't sure which meditation removed those and whether the other meditation removed more. Like that was the feeling I got. I wasn't sure where. Uh, what called anger and uh, attachment or desire are two of the hindrances. And these two hindrances also become uh, fetters. And these two hindrances arise from those two fetters. Fetters are destroyed completely forever, never to arise again, only when we attain stages of enlightenment. When you practice uh, concentration meditation, 
we attain the stages of uh, concentration, which are called jhanas. Jhanas. There are four, there are two categories, actually three categories of jhana. One category is called uh, uh, category, jhana of uh, material form. Other category is called immaterial form, immaterial jhana. Actually they are not called jhana in Pali, they are called attainment. <laughs> and the other third is supramandane jhana. These two form jhana, form less jhana are mundane attainment and other is for supramandane attainment. Supramandane attainment means it's another subject by itself. Or every one of these is a subject by itself. Supramandane attainment is the attainment where all the fetters are totally destroyed, first three and then two nullified and then destroyed and other five destroyed. That is from the last state of enlightenment. So when the fetters are totally destroyed, eradicated, hindrances will never arise again. But you talked about um, our um, us acting as the observer and the participant in rising and falling phenomena or you know events. And um, what is, is our practice to be um, of, of equal balance as we observe and yet, yet in, in, inject or participate with the Eightfold Path, with the Dharma? Is that how we play participant and observer? I, I'm, is, that, is that the intent of our practice? So that as we become more aware, we, that's where loving friendship comes in, we, we interject that as a participant and see what the effect is? Yes. If you are nobody from Patrick and right? As we experience uh, uh, practice, each of them, say for instance, understand, right understand, uh, when you practice mindfulness meditation, personal meditation, uh, we see how right understanding arises. That is our participation. And we let it arise through our mindfulness of practice. Understanding of the truth or formal truth. Uh, as we practice mindfulness. So we, uh, in our own personal experience, we participate in writing, developing, improving our understanding, right understanding. We see the mind becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. As we practice vipassana meditation, that is our part of our right understanding. 